but like this whole, in my mind, sorry, bullshit talk about platforming people. Like we're here to have meaningful conversations, to understand what makes people tick, to address issues that matter and to get to the bottom of them. And at the end of the day, to give the audience something to think about and decide for themselves. Now people say, oh, now you're going to both sides the issue. No, I'm not. I'm not going to bring on for Black History Month, bring on a grand wizard of the KKK and, and you know, try to find out if he makes any good points. That's not what I'm talking about. Forgotten Corner Podcast would not exist without our listeners. If you enjoy the work we are doing on this show and would like to support further, please consider a donation through our Patreon account, patreon.com backslash forgottencornerpod, or visit our website, forgottencornerpod.com. Welcome back to the Forgotten Corner Podcast. My name is Scott Schmidt. I'm your co-host here alongside Jeremy Appel. This is part two of our conversation with Ryan Jesperson, the host of Real Talk. And uh, without further ado, let's get to the show. So now to move the show along, because I really want to, there's a story that we really got to hear today, and I want to know just how much you're willing to talk about it. But uh, there's a lot of sort of hearsay and shit about what went on when when uh, you were let go from Ched. Um, can we hear that story? Because like, I at least want to know what it was like to be public enemy number one for the rebel. Oh, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I don't even, yeah, fuck. Those guys have nothing to do with anything of, of the story. I mean, that's, they're just- They sure fucking acted like they were the reason why you got canned <laughs> though, didn't they? They, like Keen Becks gloated like something else. I, I would, I just felt like it must've been a, a fucking hard moment to stay quiet. But anyway, if you, if you can tell us the story a little bit about what happened there. Um, well, I, I, geez, I mean, where do you want to begin? I mean, it's, you know, the, you know, there's, I don't know. There's, there's what, there's what people, some people think the story's about. And then there's, you know, my perception of what the story's about. And then there's probably a few other stories that, that, uh, that ultimately the courts will hear about. So I, I'm, I'm going to sort of, uh, you know, I can acknowledge that I'm currently, uh, you know, uh, employing a lawyer who's seeking my best interest in those, the wheels of justice are turning. So, um, you know, I was, I was, it's, it's their prerogative. If they want to let, let me go, they can let me go. Uh, but they cut me loose with no severance and, and in sort of a malicious fashion. And so uh, that was unacceptable to me. Uh, you can imagine how that makes a guy feel too, uh, in the middle of a pandemic to be let go with no severance, which just as someone who's raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for charity on that station, uh, prominently and proudly served as a diplomat for that station, worked hard for that company. Um, it was just a totally, uh, heartbreaking and in my mind, unacceptable way for the relationship to end. And so I'm insisting on some accountability there. Um, and I'll be proudly announcing it whenever that happens. Um, right, cause they, they, they totally threw you under the bus. Like. Oh, big time, big time. Yeah, absolutely. Big time. Do you think yeah. they were waiting for something, anything? Because like you said, when you started there, that it was like, ah, we want to get back to the more progressive conservative mindset or whatever. And you're like, I got this. And then all of a sudden you realize it, you know, I don't know, from the outside perspective, it does kind of have this let's get rid of people that ask hard questions ring to it. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I sort of hesitate to talk about it because even I acknowledge that it, it, it kind of comes across sounding somewhat conspiratorial. Um, but what are you going to say? I mean, if that's the story, that's the story. And it's actually quite a remarkable story. And the story is still writing itself, right? I mean, real talk is the next chapter here. It's, you know, politician tries to kill journalist's career. Journalist's career rises from ashes stronger than before. What happens to politician? That's the next uh, chapter to be written. But yeah, I mean, I had, a, I had a great relationship with, I mean, it's a political station. It's a, a station with a largely conservative uh, base. It was difficult going to work some days. Um, that text line is something else. My mental health suffered from it. Um, I, I, I um, saw ugly sides of myself 
as a result of uh, that text line and some of the pressures that uh, came with being a, a prominent host on that radio station for that network. Um, people are vicious and unrelenting and uh, uh, deplorable in some of the things that they say and some of the actions that they take. It was a, it was a very difficult six years in that context. It was also a wonderful six years uh, where we accomplished many great things and hosted incredible conversations. And, um, you know, I released a statement on uh, September 28th. People can find it on my Twitter. It sort of says it all about how I celebrate that stage of my career. I'll always look back fondly on that time, um, not on how it ended, but the way that it ended uh, paved the way for what I think is the most meaningful and exciting project that I've ever embarked on, which we're just 52 shows into. So, um, you know, that remains to be seen how that goes, but yeah, there, you know, I had a great relationship with, um, uh, the company. I mean, the company had me on their national election desk in Toronto at the last federal election. I had a lot of, uh, a very long leash, uh, very little editorial, uh, interference. Um, I, I largely, spoke my mind and brought in the guests I wanted to bring in. And that included guests across the political spectrum. Um, I had a very good relationship with the conservative uh, parties, both provincially and federally in Alberta, right up until the time Jason Kenney arrived here. Uh, logged dozens and dozens and dozens of, of interviews, fair interviews, including during uh, Rachel Notley's uh, you know, uh, time as premier, um, always extended invitations for the official opposition conservative, always, I mean, you, you know, the, the tail of the tape. <laughs> if, if Chorus hadn't have wiped my entire career's work when I was fired, uh, people could go back and, and listen to those interviews, but they're all gone now. They, they um, wiped you from- Everything's, everything's gone. Like, like your what Trotsky? Fuck, man. Yeah, everything's gone. All the interviews are gone. It's been, dev I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, that's fine for me. That's fine. I can, you know, I'm still doing interviews. I can bring people back and catch up with them. It's devastating for people like nonprofits and things like that, that had interviews that they had embedded on their websites or things like that. People that had their stories told, um, you know, one guy who, who uh, I won't say the family's name, but the mom reached out to me, a guy that went missing in BC and they've been, they've been looking for him and searching for him. And his mom reached out to me They they're looking for the interview. It's gone. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. That's where, that's where it hurts people. Um, you know, these, these companies, these they're, they're malicious, man. I mean, look what Bell just did a few days after Let's Talk. They they cut loose 200 plus people. Um, I'm working to confirm this, but the rumor is that people were fired by robocall by the company that's oh, talking about mental yeah. health. So, you know, whatever. Um, anyway, but, you know, so it, so it was, you know, it was kind of becoming inconvenient. I think, you know, Jason Kenney had said that he wouldn't do interviews with me. The conservatives wouldn't do interviews with me. They were they were pulling the levers at the federal level. So some federal conservative politicians wouldn't do interviews with me. Um, but it didn't ever really matter because my numbers were really good and uh, sponsorship was really strong. But, uh, yeah, I think that they saw blood in the water um, with, the, you know, this this municipal politician, a bit of a joke of one. And um, I was speaking about a, a, a staffer of his, uh, who, who I'm very familiar with. As a matter of fact, the staffer had been on my show before for a previous incident where he had posted a rape joke to the city councilor's Facebook page. Uh, and the two of them wanted to address it. And so I gave them that fair platform to do so. But this staffer, when I referred to him as a, a chimpanzee typing up idiotic tweets, he knows exactly who he is. The politician knows exactly who I was talking about. Um, in my mind, to, to try to spin it as some sort of racial comment is, is in my mind, racist itself uh to try to look around the room and find a person of color to pin the comments on is is just totally wildly inappropriate so to, uh, the person you were talking about was was white his name is matthew Alltime, and <laughs> and you can look him up and you can search his history and the internet will tell you everything you need to know about this guy. and sec secondly like I'd heard the part about the chimpanzee part, but as soon as you talked about chimpanzee typing out things, you're supposed to picture what we all know to be the room full of chimpanzees that type yeah. the story, like the old Simpsons yeah, yeah. scene, it right? Was like the best of times. it's clearly not it a, it's clearly not time. right. It's clearly not times. racial. I actually um, last week was quoting. I, I wanted to write about a conservative emailer that sent me something saying that blah, blah, blah. I agree. Kenny sucks, blah, blah, blah. He said, but, but I, I, he literally wrote to me, I would vote for a monkey before I would vote for, and then listed the other parties. Yeah. And it's like said, Donald and, Trump saying you can shoot somebody on fifth Avenue. Right. Right. And then said, I hope, I hope they find a better monkey. I wrote about that last week. And like, even then I was trying to like, make sure I'm like, okay, don't use this word in any form 
other than to describe what this guy was seeing so that people yeah. know we're actually talking about monkeys here because for some reason there are people that want to take that word and equate it to something else as soon as you say it obviously sure. like i mean I, you know i like i said i mean this was you know the politicians obviously mobilized at, at all three <laughs> levels uh you know the city councilor pulling his levers uh, with his best buddies, a couple of them who are prominent advertisers on Chad, who, you know, threatened that they were going to pull their advertising. Um, what's been amazing is the number of clients that have reached out to me that have pulled their advertising as a result of me getting fired, which is amazing. Awesome. Um, they outnumber any people that anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to start getting into that. I, this is it's so in the rearview mirror that I, I really don't think about it, except for the, you know, when my lawyer sends me an email, and, and I don't really uh, get too bothered by it, because it obviously has launched me into you know, this you, now it came out of it pretty okay. It came out of it okay. But you know, so at provincial and even federal level, you know, I mean, you know, federal conservative MPs like Carrie Diot were speaking out against it and pulling their levers. And so I knew there was there was blood in the water. Um, you know, I had confirmation that um that uh, at least one chorus board member, an executive board member, had been contacted by elected officials um, uh, looking to exert influence there. So once I knew that that stuff was happening, and I was gag ordered by chorus, so I couldn't defend myself, I couldn't say anything publicly, I was getting dragged through the mud. Um, uh, so there was a, you know, as I've characterized it, there was a public hanging uh, with with the absence of public outcry. Uh, nobody was really mad. I mean, even the city council that was tweeting about it and making these wild accusations. I think like 130 people liked his tweet. Uh, when I tweeted my statement after getting fired, I think 9,000 people liked it. So, um, you know, I think chorus will move on. I mean, you know, corporations are cutthroat and massive and worth billions of dollars. And I don't think anybody there has lost any sleep over me leaving. Um, to me, um, I found my calling. And, and here we are, and uh, it's pretty exciting. So let's, let's talk about Real Talk a little bit, because we were going to ask you, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, like we, we were wondering if it was something that you just decided once you got fired, okay, we got to figure out what to do. But it sounds like you had been thinking about something like this for a while. So my question is, sort of, you know, explain when you started thinking about Real Talk, and I guess it kickstarted when you got let go, but were you maybe thinking about leaving on your own terms sooner than later anyway if you were already thinking about a show yeah um i i'd been having conversations with chorus about there was a um uh without getting too into it there was a there was a point in my contract where there were conversations about what the future past that point would look like um and we had been very casually talking about a one-year term for the first time in my career uh, i've never signed a one-year contract before I've never asked for a one-year contract before, um, but that's where we were at. So that 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 gives you some sense of where my mindset was at. Um, and I had always been intrigued by podcasts. To be frank, um, I was relatively well compensated and relatively comfortable at Chorus. Um, I had a great production team. I had uh, the good structure in place for a show that essentially could run itself. Uh, I was able to show up relatively right before my obligations in the morning and leave relatively right after my show went off the air and be on a tee box 35 minutes later. So life was pretty good. Um, had a great vehicle sponsor, had some nice perks. So when conversation would come up about, you know, you should do a podcast, I would, I would say yes. Like undeniably, that's where this is all going to. This is where the trend is going. This is where people are connecting. This is where advertisers are really interested. Um, I'm on the AM dial. I'm aware that, that digital media is obviously the future, yada, yada, yada. But A, I'm comfortable. B, I'm currently contractually prohibited from doing anything on my own. So it was always a yeah, but. But there had been some conversations and I had a, a very modest team so to speak it was three people and me that would meet for gin sodas the odd time and map out the loose rough bones of what it might look like how might we monetize it what might the audience look like what might the perspective be what format might it follow what might the frequency be might it be daily might it be on camera these types of things but like really almost whimsical conversations when I was suspended on September 10th, uh, 
15 days before I was fired, I knew right away that I was gone. I knew right away. And so we started getting together and brainstorming and, um, we being you and Sam. Uh, no, I didn't meet Sam until uh, Sam only came on board about three weeks before we went on air. So Not me and this Sam team, Brooks. I, Sam Brooks, my uh, technical producer, yeah, uh, who's just a beauty of a guy. Um, yeah, no, there's just these these people. These I, I guess I might call them my advisors, and we put a team together, uh, a more robust team of of people that helped me um, create the vision and then um, uh, hone the specifics, and then ultimately get this show to air. And and we did it in. Uh, two months minus two days, which I'm really proud of from being fired to back on the air with an exclusive with Edmonton's mayor, two days under two months. Can you, can you give us a, a sort of what that vision is of the show? Um, you know, you can read an about section anytime, but what, what was the, you know, the mindset of that team and, and what, what, what is your vision as a show? Well, our vision is uh, to give people what they still want, which is daily, live, meaningful conversation on issues that matter. And what we're working toward is ensuring that it's accessible to people, uh, that it meets people where they're at, <laughs> both metaphorically and literally, uh, getting it into the appropriate uh, content delivery avenues. <laughs> Um, reflecting the latest, I was, you know, I'm the in-game host for the Edmonton Oilers too. Boy, do I miss in-person NHL hockey, but, but I always say to the fans, as we're teeing something up, a big game on the Jumbotron, I always have fun saying using the latest technology. Uh, but we want to make sure that real talk is, is really on uh, the cutting edge, whether it's polling, uh, whether it's, uh, the platforms where we're available, whether it's audience engagement and interaction, um, whether it's things that make it more accessible, like closed captioning, which we're working on right now, and other, and other things. Uh, we really want to reflect where people are at, how people are getting what they're getting, and, and how it's uh, meaningfully consumed. Um, and then ultimately, of course, what's the perspective? Is it, a, is it a show for the prairies? Is it a show for Western Canadians? Is it a show for Canadians? Um, is it a, an international show? I mean, it's, it's, it's broadcast online, so uh, it, it inherently uh, has no boundaries. Um, we know from our uh, data that uh, people tune in regularly or semi-regularly from 62 different countries, uh, which is remarkable. Um, I think that's incredible. I mean, some of those countries have three people uh, tuning in, but still Brunei, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, uh, South Korea, Italy, um, a ton of people in England, um, uh, which maybe are expats, uh, you know, a, a lot of people in, in the United States. Uh, it, it's really exciting. People in Quebec, people in, in the Maritimes. Um, so, you know, we, we have a significant audience share currently in Alberta. Um, you know, about half of our audience, uh, you know, is, is out of the Metro Edmonton region, about half right now, uh, about just under 80% in Alberta about 20% outside of Alberta, about 10% outside the country. So, uh, no, pardon me, about 5% outside the country. So, you know, um, we're determining where the show's going to go. I, I, I'm treating it like a, I'm treating it, I'm trying, I'm trying to meet our audience where it's at and grow the audience at the same time, which can be a bit of a tricky balance. But I think that we're doing an okay job with it, which is uh, providing meaningful coverage of issues that are relevant to Western Canadians while also exploring uh, subjects that have no meaningful geographic barriers, relatively speaking, such as uh, fundamentalism, Christianity, and Trumpism, or electric vehicles, or water pollution, or, uh, you know, uh, basic living wage, uh, or, you know, basic income, uh, stuff like that, where, you know, you might be just as interested listening in from Louisiana as you might be from Edmonton. And obviously you made this transition from you know old style corporate media to independent new media which uh, I mean is something I can certainly relate to on a smaller scale um, but what, what would you say the difference is between what you were doing before and what you're doing now I, I know you talked about the you know you have inherently a broader reach being an online uh, show and you have numbers to back that up, but in terms of uh, both style and form, uh, what's the difference between 
your show on global and real talk? Yeah, uh, I appreciate that question because it's like it's kind of nuanced. There's really not a lot different, to be honest with you, in the sense that I approach interviews the same way. I mean, I'm less bound by, uh, you know, structure like, you know, commercial breaks or hitting a news traffic weather wheel or things like that. Um, interviews, some interviews that we plan to be 20 minutes have been an hour. Some interviews that we plan to be 30 minutes have been six, um, depending on what's going on and some factors like that. But, but I treat interviews the same way. I treat my editorial process the same way. Uh, people are saying, I think it's typically, I assume that it's people that are more new to the show. I mean, we're adding, it's, it, you know, it's been a real trip. I promised Jeremy, I'll come back to answer the question, but what's been a real trip for me uh, has been, the growth of, of, you know, like my, my, my audience on Twitter, like Twitter followers, people following me on Instagram, stuff like that. And when you pay like loose attention or as much as you can tell from these people, you can't, you can't read too much into the demographics, but I notice a lot of young people. And that to me is so exciting. And people, you know, I get a lot of messages from people that are saying like, we're like, we're getting literally like on, on our at talk at ryanjesperson.com. We get probably uh, between that and my personal inbox, we're getting like between four and 500 emails a day. Like it's bananas. And people are saying, the com there's a common theme of no offense, had no idea who you were before, but I found the show and I love it. And that to me is incredible feedback. So these, these are like young, engaged people typically, or people that feel like their perspectives are, are currently underrepresented with regards to what's on the media menu in Canada. Um, so that's pretty exciting. So, but, but people are saying, you know, wow, like one of the things I really love about real talk is you're, you know, you're willing to, to explore different sides of an issue or I, you know, your guest list isn't always predictable or, or actually some of your guests infuriate me. And I go, yeah, but that's kind of what I was doing on Chad for the last six years. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's actually what outraged a lot of people is like, people couldn't believe people would take a conversation with someone as, I mean, I had Zipporah Berman on, I had, uh, like, I might take this one back actually, but I had the leader of the, um, the soldiers of Odin in Edmonton. They were, they were like, we want to, you know, we're being misperceived and, and misrepresented by media and we want to sit down and do an interview and this, and I was like, sure, fill your boots. Come on in. Let's do it. I mean, the guy just got humiliated. I mean, he's just, he's just, a. it didn't go well for him. The interview wasn't great. And, and later people were like, you shouldn't have given that guy a platform. And I, I can actually see that. I, I think you, you know, you, you can argue that. Um, but the point is I was willing to, to a certain degree, hear them out and say, you know, you, you say that you're being misunderstood. What are you being misunderstood about? Um, I think that, you know, some of the more successful podcasts do that too, where they'll just bring someone in. I mean, I, you know, people criticize Joe Rogan, for example, for bringing in Alex Jones. Um, I'm, I'm to a certain degree intrigued by what makes somebody like that tick and uh, holding somebody like that accountable. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, but that's always been part of my editorial process. So, so that's actually the same. That's, that's what, that's what's the same about the show that we're doing now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we Scott and I always say we'll we'll interview anyone, we'll have anyone on the show. Um, obviously, who it is, the 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 way we approach the interview would vary based on who of it course. is, of course. But I mean, yeah, we would have. I mean, I personally, I don't want to speak for Scott. I I talk to anyone. It's just I may not take them seriously. I may just make fun of them the whole time, but. Um, you know, I, I, I think there is benefit in having the problem with Rogan is of course that he just has people on to shoot the shit and, you know, he seems like a likable guy, you know, I would, I would, you know, smoke a joint with him. Uh, but you know, that isn't necessarily a good approach when you have as massive as a platform as him and you have all these guests on and you just sort of all treat them the same, right? He'll have like Dr. Cornell West on and he'll be singing his praises and in my view, rightfully so. And then he'll have Ben Shapiro on. It will be the same thing. And it's like, these guys aren't the same, right? They're ones. It was like, it was like, it was like Jimmy Fallon getting, you know, tussling Donald Trump's hair. Right. It right. Was that, it was that, that sort of a thing. I think that's, um, yeah, Jeremy, and I, I agree with you. I, you know, and I've, I've pushed back on, on early audience feedback. I mean, some of it, you know, some of the earliest uh, negative feedback came from a guy who actually I quite like, um, and, and we're pals. So I don't even think he'd mind me bringing this up because we had a public exchange about it, but former Alberta liberal leader, David Kahn, who's kind of come alive. Into the I show. He's, has he been on the show? Oh yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So, so, so David's great. And, and, and David's kind of come alive. It seems after leaving politics, he's almost, I don't want to say found his voice, but he's, he's certainly acting more unchained in a way that I think may have actually gleaned in more political support. If he would have, anyway, that's my personal opinion, but, but I, I don't actually remember what interview it was that I did on real talk, but, but David Kahn reached out and, and said, you know, it's, it's a shame that you're platforming this person that you're, you know, you're providing this person a platform and right away, I was like, no, 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 no. Like, David, you'll be welcome on the show many times. But like this whole, in my mind, sorry, bullshit talk about platforming people. Like, we're here to have meaningful conversations, to understand what makes people tick, to address issues that matter, and to get to the bottom of them. And at the end of the day, to give the audience something to think about and decide for themselves. Now, people say, oh, now you're going to both sides the issue. No, I'm not. I'm not going to bring on, for Black History Month, bring on a Grand Wizard of the KKK and, and you know, try to find out if he makes any good points. That's not what I'm talking about. But when it comes to things like Western separation, when it comes to things like, um, you know, now that I brought up Western separation, I'm like, oh, here we go. But, uh, you know, things like that, I want to know what makes people tick. And so I will bring on Drew Barnes and I will ask Drew Barnes why he thinks that's a good idea. Or, or, or of course, I will challenge him strongly. As a matter of fact, it would probably be a very, and will be a very entertaining interview because he's the only UCP MLA that will talk to me right now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm, but, but that's so I'm not I'm not big in the whole platforming stuff unless we're talking about extreme examples like I've just noted. So, so my question then would be because, and I guess I'll clarify, because you do have some sponsors, right, for the show. Like, you're not necessarily just relying on crowdfunding for, for the show. You have some sponsors, so it's a bit different than maybe your traditional independent podcast. But at the same time, do you know who your audience is? And by that, I mean, when you got let go from, from Ched, I think you got a overwhelming amount of support from progressives. Yep. Who, who, who were like, this is fucking bullshit. And I would imagine that the big surge that you had in the beginning, you got from a lot of progressives who came to the show and were like, we're going to support you. But we've also found on this show the same kind of thing. Sometimes if we talk about a guest that that they don't agree with or wouldn't want to have on, we get and we get we hear about just the idea of platforming that person. So I guess my question is, how do you navigate that when you're picking your guests? Do you think about your audience as far as I need to please these people? Or or are you just there to provide something that they're supposed to have shown up to get? If that makes sense. Well, nobody's supposed to do anything. You can do whatever you want. No, but I mean, uh, like the people that come to your show, are you wanting them to come because they want that approach you're you're giving, or do you recognize that? You're, okay, you're, let me let me let me yeah. use a religious metaphor here. Like church means different things to different people. Like church to me is fellowship. Like meeting people together and 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 partaking in in something together and having fellowship church is not being preached at. Um, I've never enjoyed radio that preaches at me and I've never done radio that preaches except for five minute bits here and there. But uh, no, I, I'm doing a talk show that's interesting. That's attacking issues with integrity. That's uh, I'm not doing anything that leans a certain way. This is not a, I mean, you know, I've, if I am progressive, um, then inherently it's a show hosted by a progressive, but uh, so, you know, by that, to that extent, it will be a progressive show. Uh, I look at, you know, what does progressive mean? You know, I I saw, uh, who was it? Was it David Mosscrop or somebody else this week? Yeah. Yeah. It was Mosscrop. It was Mosscrop who's basically said, I can't remember his exact words, but he said, basically, is there any word that's more meaningless than progressive? And to a certain degree, he's right. I mean, to me, it's just, are you regressive or are you progressive? Like, do you believe that we should move forward as a society based on evidence and best practice and empathy and, you know, you know, evidence-based decision-making or, or, do you think we should stay status quo or revert to the good old days and, you know, make Alberta great again or make America great again, puke, right? Like, you know, it wasn't great for everybody. We've heard that a million times. So, you know, for whatever progressive means, but no, the audience, you know, I mean, I saw some funny things. I had a, I had a conservative strategist on the other week that, that said something like, you know, because, and he was from Ontario and he said, you know, uh, Ryan, I know that I'm, 
talking to Alberta-based hosts, so your audience has no appetite for Justin Trudeau, but, and then he was like, blah, 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 blah. And then I was watching in our live chat, a few people were like, he shouldn't make assumptions on how I feel about Justin Trudeau kind of thing. And I thought that was great. Um, but also, uh, you know, I guarantee, I mean, I got a, a great email from a lady the other day. I read it on the show on Friday that said, um, she said, your show's tough to listen to sometimes for me because it challenges me. She said, I'm a, you know, I'm a, a Bible believing Christian. I believe that feminism harms women more than helps them. I'm, I'm pro-life. I'm small, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, um, and she was like, but I listen to the show because I know that the interviews are going to be meaningful. The interviews will have integrity and it's going to challenge me. And that to me was incredible feedback. Um, you know, I want, I envision a show that brings together people of different perspectives that, that find common ground or that seek to anyway. Um, I don't think that it's some utopia. Uh, we have reasonable expectations, but I think that there's a lack of uh, meaningful real estate that's set aside for people to have open-minded, respectful discussions. And that's what we promise to bring. Scott, if there's one thing I promise to bring every single day, it's that. And how, how do you decide uh, which particular guests to get on your show? I would imagine uh, with a show of your reach, it's pretty easy to book guests, except for, you know, the uh, aforementioned uh, <laughs> politicians. Um, so uh, what's your, uh, you know, because we have our, uh, you know, guest booking process. What's what, what's yours like, in, not in terms of the actual, you know, process of getting guests on, but in terms of fitting that into like, the broader um, message. You know, I, I, uh, and I, let me make clear, by the way, that I continue to invite, uh, you know, certain politicians on the show that just, I never want them to be able to say, well, we weren't invited. He never invited us. Um, so I continue to invite uh, many, I think people would be surprised at how many conservative politicians we invite on the show on a regular basis. Um, and I think at some point, you know, you look at how political parties and movements ebb and flow and leaders don't last forever and parties return to normalcy or stability or integrity. And, uh, and I greatly look forward to meaningful conversations with elected conservative politicians uh, in the years to come. It's, it's a bit of the dark ages right now on that front, which is unfortunate. But, you know, audiences also don't always care about hearing from politicians. A lot of times people are loath to hear from politicians. They'd rather hear from commentators and everyday people that, uh, that have actually done the work, that actually understand the industries, that actually walk with their boots on the ground. Um, my editorial process is, is uh, always remaining open to feedback. I, I care a great deal about what the audience tells me they'd like to hear about. I follow the obvious uh, items in the news. We don't chase headlines, but we pay attention to trends. You know, right now, for example, it's not really in the news, but we're, we're working ahead on producing meaningful coverage on medical assistance and dying. We've touched on that. I think that our show, um, I, 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 I kind of feel, like, to be honest, like we've kind of spearheaded conversation, really deep conversation on coal mining in Alberta. Um, we've kind of sunk our teeth in early on some things that have, that have mattered to me personally or resonated with people around me, people that I care about. Um, I, 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 I'm greatly influenced by, by correspondence with listeners and viewers and um, you know people that take the time to write us uh, emails or reach out and tell us their stories and why issues matter to them go a long way for me in in planning out our content. Um, we're also working on developing um, uh, an editorial board of people that will be uh, representing diverse backgrounds that are going to um, uh, essentially audit uh, uh, the work that I'm doing and, and work with me ahead of time to identify uh, maybe some underrepresented stories on Friday. We, we talked about the, uh, you know, for the second time on the show, uh, the farmers protests in India, there's not a lot of, I mean, there's some coverage in Canada, but there's not a lot of meaningful coverage on why Canadians should care about that. Um, that sounds like a harsh thing, but you know, an assignment editor, his name's Randy McDonald that I worked with at city TV for years, uh, just a wonderful guy and great at his job. Um, at first I thought he was harsh in assignment meetings when he'd say, I pitch a story and he'd say, why do we care? Um, until I realized that that's the whole uh, mandate <laughs> of a, that's a whole point of a, of a journalist job of a talk host job is to tell to help people realize or understand or, or even for ourselves to come to an understanding of why should we care about this issue why does this matter and um so yeah that that sort of directs who we ask and then of course now as the show's gaining prominence and audience and reach and etc cetera, etc cetera, um you know more and more people are reaching out i mean people are are targeting us as, you know, we have a story to break or we have an interview where we 
uh, want to know that we're going to get a fair shake or we have an announcement to make that, that you know, we'd, we'd like to make it on this platform. And obviously that's, that means a lot to us. And uh, you recently, or relatively recently, had Supriya Devedi on your show, who, um, of course, also uh, worked for a chorus radio station, and uh, which she uh, quit uh, as a result of both the abusive, you know, misogynistic, racist, you know, etc. messages she received, but also the on-air, um, some of the hosts and guests, um, spreading misinformation and i guess my first question is uh based on your experience at at, at global was that something you that especially rang true to you obviously you're not a woman of color so you know it's a different ball game for you but just just generally speaking in terms of the tenor of debate in the level of misinformation was that something that uh, rang true to you? And do you share her concerns more broadly about guests using uh, a particular platform to spread misinformation that isn't, um, you know, strongly uh, combated? Are you talking about anybody in particular, Jeremy? No. Okay. Um because I, you know, I, I did, I was in an interesting position for, you know, nearly my entire time at Chorus Radio, you know, um, my colleague, uh, former colleague, Danielle Smith out of Calgary. Um, okay, maybe, maybe there is one person. Yeah, it sort of, it sort of felt like that's what you were asking me about without saying her name. Um, uh, Danielle and I are very friendly and, and Danielle and I have, have always had a very positive working relationship and um, we don't see eye to eye in a lot of things, obviously. And people can, I'm not, I'm not saying anything that's, uh, you know, groundbreaking here or new here. You know, people can Google for themselves, you know, her, her public comments on hydroxychloroquine, um, you know, her bringing Kaylin Ford onto the show. I mean, I just talked earlier about how I brought the leader of the Soldiers of Odin in Edmonton on my show. Um, I think what people didn't appreciate most, especially about Danielle's interview with Kaylin, um, is, is that they found Danielle to be sympathetic to her as opposed to critical um, you know, so in other words, I don't know that people cared so much that Kaylin was on the show. I think people cared more about how the interview was conducted. Um, well, to be fair, if the interview wasn't conducted in a certain way, uh, she could very well have uh, been on the receiving end of a lawsuit. So. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, Kaylin's suing a lot of people right now. Yeah, um, litigious. Yeah. Um, I never, you know, I mean, in, in the context of that, you know, people would always, you know, people would tag me in things about Danielle and like, you know, Ryan Justin, how do you feel about this kind of thing? And I, I just always thought that was a weird thing to do to me. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I, I don't speak for, I, I tweeted once, I said, you know, just a reminder, I didn't name her, but I said, you know, just a reminder, you know, I speak for me, I don't speak for anybody else, and nobody else speaks for me. Like, that's, period yeah i fucking hate that shit the whole like disavow game well it's and it's the whole yeah so like what so i work for a multi-billion dollar international corporation and so does she so i'm gonna i mean am i answering for every single other talk host in the i just thought it was ridiculous it's, it's the same sort of a thing that you know people come at hosts all the time looking for you to kind of you know do you disavow this kind of it's what, what do you think you're trying to put paint me into a court like i've always wanted to, people to be and this is i mean there's a hundred reasons why my show is called real talk uh, it means a lot of different things even on where you place the emphasis it takes a different tone but like i always wanted to just be real with people like let's just have a real hey ryan jesperson what do you think like hey man like why don't we just have a real conversation like why don't we just talk normally treat each other normally civilly and and get into a conversation on something but but it's so uh, the tone of everything is so divisive now. Um, you know, I, social media is so important. And at the same time, it's such a cancer. Um, I, you know, I just, I don't know. And when it comes to, you know, misinformation on the airwaves, things like that. I mean, I think obviously people need to be held accountable. That's, you know, I mean, a show can, or a show or a host can, can, you know, work so hard to gain trust and credibility for so long and lose it so very quickly. Trust is earned. And that's something that's not lost on me. Um, you said you got about what 52 episodes in now, right? So yeah. um, I, it's obviously, you know, I want to ask like, hey, pick a favorite or anything like that. But is there any, you know, one or two moments um, 
from your start here where, you know, a guest maybe that you brought on that you, you, you know, were expecting maybe to be just sort of a regular old interview. And when it was over, you're like, Jesus Christ, that was amazing. Or, or something like that. Do you have any like highlight memories so far? Um, I mean, I'm just looking back on the week that was, I, you know, I think Chrissy Stroop talking about evangelicalism was, was very powerful and amazing sharing her journey as a, uh, trans woman and, and, you know, her, her, her journey of her gender, uh, transition and all, I mean, all, I mean, that was just a, such a powerful talking about her family and how, I mean, it was just, wow. I, I just felt honored that she, uh, was inclined to be so honest and candid with us. And, and in, in a conversation that can be really difficult to have when you're talking about faith and, um, politics and it's uh, you know people that I care about that are people of faith watching that interview it just was I felt like I trusted Chrissy I felt like Chrissy trusted me I feel like the audience took something from it I was I was hearing from atheists and agnostics and I was hearing from people of strong faith and both telling me that they appreciated the exercise so that meant a lot um, Art Price obviously the former CEO of Husky saying that losing Keystone is not a big deal I didn't see that one coming that kind of just as he was making the comment I was like I'm kind of like Cause he had started off. This will be big. <laughs> well, yeah, I was like, this will be big. This will be a big one. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I can't, I can't really pick favorites other than that. I mean, I remember it felt, it, you know, I mean, the way that we launched felt pretty good with, you know, an exclusive with the mayor on the first show that that was kind of a bit of a, um, that was meaningful to me. Um, it meant a lot that mayor did that. And, um, but yeah, I mean, there's been so many, it's, it's our, you know, 52 shows. It sounds so young, but it's also, um, I, I feel like we've, you know, we're still just hitting our stride, but we've, we've got a good history. And what really strikes me is the audience, the connection. If you, if you sign into YouTube, um, you, you know, subscribe to our YouTube channel and you're there and you're ready for real talk at like say eight twenty nine mountain time AM. Uh, and, um, as soon as we go live and the chat, the live chat starts, watch it. Like I like, watch it. It's amazing. There's like literally 75 or hundred people right away complete strangers wishing each other a good morning. And I just, you know, I used to sign into the text line on Ched first thing in the morning, right before going on the air and hear about what a stupid asshole I was. And now I see a hundred people wishing each other good morning. And I cannot, I mean, I'm kind of laughing about that, but at the same time to be serious, I can't tell you what a difference that makes in my perspective and my mental health and my spirit and how I approach the rest of my day so it's incredible. I'm going to show up there on Monday and call you a stupid asshole for old time's sake. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, you know what? You can do it on the live chat and then you can get eaten alive. You know? <laughs> so um, we're, we're going to let you go here right away, but I wanted to ask you a question since we've been talking about all this, you know, obviously well-known radio guy um, with Global and, and, and quite popular now. You're also a family man and uh, have some have that to pay attention to and worry about as your top priority. I guess my question is, have you ever felt like you were in danger at any point as a as a radio host um, with Global or 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 I guess since even? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there have been. Uh, you know, few and far between, but um there, there have been a few 911 calls for sure. Um, there have been a couple situations that were uh, disturbing and eye-opening and um, threats made against my family and um, a couple of incidents in person that were, uh, I had a guy come up to me at a hockey game and ask if uh, we, we, were, we were right by a, a uh, concrete balcony and uh, this guy came up to me about probably about six uh, four two fifty, and came up and, and shook my hand, which is not unusual. Um, I extended my hand, smiled, shook his hand, and and then he put his other hand on my shoulder. Oh, the olden days, yeah, the olden days, right, where you could party with eighteen thousand five hundred people and hug strangers and snap selfies in groups and uh, hey, Jared, pass joints around. Um, but, uh, you know, and so this guy, and then, and then he kind of exerted, uh, some, some influence on me. He's holding my hand, my one hand, and then he put, put, put his other hand on my shoulder and kind of, um, sort of started nudging me toward the balcony, which was kind of a weird, I didn't really obviously understand what was going on. He said, you think anybody would notice if I threw over this fucking balcony right now, you prick, uh, that one for me was kind of, uh, 
<laughs> I twisted out of it. And I look, I mean, I was so shocked and I twisted out of it and I said, well, that's kind of a fucked up thing to do. And then I just kept walking because I, I, think, I, because I had somewhere to be. Uh, I was, I was on the clock. I was doing my job and I, boy, was I rattled. I was rattled for about an hour. Um, and then there was another incident in particular where I was walking my dog uh, with my little, my son, who was about a year old at the time in the stroller and uh, walking and, and from across the street, this guy just started giving it to me and uh, in front of my kid. And I, and um, I'll tell you this, our boxer is about 80 pounds and he's a bit of a nut and uh, he was going nuts. And I had half a mind to actually let that leash go. I thought, you know what? But obviously I wouldn't do that. But that, that, that time was just so fed up that he, that that individual would do that in front of my kid. Um, that's probably uh, in my life. One of the times where I had to dig deepest uh, with regards to self-control to keep walking. Uh, I was, I was absolutely furious, but um, didn't want my little guy to see it. And so, uh, you know, those, yeah, there have, there have been incidents. Um, you know, I had a guy swing a bottle at me in a bar once, um, uh, you know, uh, asked me why you know why don't i just you know i'm surprised i can get in here for a drink i've you know taken pulled my face out of justin trudeau's asshole for five minutes and this that and the other i was there with friends and i mean you know that stuff happens um you know it's i'm kind of more embarrassed for the people than i am for me but but you know when you're a public person you understand that not everybody loves you um i asked the great brian hall once uh, broadcast hall of famer for one piece of advice and he said kid you got to make sure they love you or they hate you. <laughs> and uh, so, I, you know, awesome intentional or otherwise that's, that's the game plan, I guess. Uh, just, I just want to say that I'm pretty sure if someone threw you off the balcony at an Oilers game, people would notice. <laughs> <laughs> Especially like, the guy the... you land on. Yeah. And also like the, like, where's the, where's the in-game commentator? Yeah, where, where's the where's the t-shirt toss? <laughs> <laughs> who's given a who's given that whole row a subway sandwich? Nobody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jeremy, you got anything uh, yes. else you wanna? I, yep. Uh, not go actually, at it. I uh, I want to ask you uh, for a piece of advice um, for aspiring broadcasters out there. I know um, that's a very trite uh, question, but I one no at least for self-serving reasons and also i think it's something our listeners uh, may appreciate knowing connect with people you have to connect with people you have to um be uh engaged and active in your circle however you define that um, whether that's your neighborhood your community you know your city your province your country you have to seek to understand um, you, you have to meaningfully invest in people um, nothing, you know, the, the, the most important work that I do doesn't happen in the two hours that we're live on the air. It's all the other time where I'm um, connecting with people individually or as groups seeking to understand issues. Um, reach out to your audience, uh, establish meaningful connections, prove to your audience that you care about their perspective, prove to your audience that their feedback is meaningful to you. Um, be gutsy. Uh, be courageous in the stories that you cover and the questions that you ask and the positions that you take and uh, the interviews that you ask for and um, dream big and don't limit your show's potential. Don't limit your career potential. Uh, be audacious, uh, be bold. And uh, most importantly, keep it real. That's good advice. And it's a good place to end the show. Um, I want to say before we give you the final word, just thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us. Uh, we've been listening and we've been watching from afar and we try not to take offense when you steal all our good guests before we <laughs> get a chance to have them. And we, we try not to like cry ourselves to sleep that we were just gaining some fucking popularity when you showed up and became <laughs> the most popular show in North America. We held no grudges over this, my friend, but really for serious, thank you so much. And you're, fucking killing it out there um we're really really happy to uh see you shake off that little nonsense in september and kick so much ass well thanks uh fellas and and i'll say that uh 
high tide rises all boats. I think it's an exciting time to be in the podcast business. And I commend you guys on what you're doing. I said it before, uh, and I'll say it again. I, you know, both of you, I've, I've been watching your careers with keen interest and you guys walk the walk. And, um, you know, to a certain degree, you could probably argue that you guys have paid for it a little bit too, which, uh, you know, we, we get tougher with these scars and, uh, and uh, it adds character. And if anything, it adds motivation. So w- I feel, Scott, like you invited me to, to, to give a last word here. So God I damn right I did. Uh, and, and I love it. And, I love, and I've always, I've, I've, I, this has been my last word in interviews and in wedding toasts and in event speeches and everything else uh, for 25 years since I first heard it uh, from my good pal, John, out in Chilliwack, BC. And it is this, that a person should always wear a coat with two pockets. And in one pocket... A note that reads, I am nothing but dust and ashes. And in the other pocket, a note that reads, the world was created for me. I love it. I think I love that's it. from the Talmud. Yes, yeah. apparently it is. Well, thank you, my friend. Keep kicking ass out there. Jeremy, thank you today for joining us on the Saturday morning. Mo Cranker, our editor and producer who refused to speak today because he forgot his mic. Thank you for all that you do. Uh, to our patrons who uh, support us beyond anything we could ever hope, Chris uh, Sturwold, Dave Bond Miller, Big Red Machine. We are so thankful that you guys are part of the show. To our other patrons, you guys keep us going. To all our listeners, share, smash five-star reviews, and keep listening to Jespo. Support that show. He's he's doing a lot of good things. Uh, let me just say this in closing, yep. just, a little, just a little Easter egg, just a little fun tidbit at the very end of the pod. Chris Sturwald, who supports you, is playing drums on the title track for Real Talk. So there you go, small world. No shit. He's so, I love that guy and he's so humble. He would have never told us that, but there you go. Small world, support everyone. He uh, And uh, go follow Chris Derwald on Twitter because he supports all of us. Anyways, thanks you guys. We'll see you guys next week. Appreciate it. Bye.